This is Sistrionics, the podcast with Izzy and Pip, where we discuss crime, gender, and deviancy. Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm fine. I've done this in a while. Not in a while, but in the meantime, we have been doing other things podcast related, haven't oh, we? we? Have. Oh my gosh. We were on another podcast. We were. We were on Radio Spätkauf. Guests of the very famous Berlin podcast, Radio Berlin Spätkauf. Institution. Berlin Institution. Uh, thank, thank you so much for, to them for having us. Um, it was a lot of fun. And if you haven't already, please do listen to that episode yep. and perhaps subscribe to Radio Spakehouse in general. They are English-speaking news organisation that gives you English-speaking news about Berlin. Yeah, if you want to know about the airport, if you want to know about um, uh, rental rights, renters' rights, you want to know all that the shit. The Kita crisis Kita as crisis. well. They cover the Kita crisis. Is he... I see the Kita crisis reflected back in your eyes. Really? You've got like a thousand yard Kita crisis stare. Yeah. <laughs> the Kita crisis is etched onto my soul. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, Berlin is going through a Kita crisis. It does ensure, or it does promise, um, universal childcare for free for any baby over the age of one. And they have recently extended that to any baby over the age of six weeks old. However, there are 10,000 Kita places missing, which means that um, where did they go? Yeah, where did they go? Where did they go? They go to because there's not enough uh, Kita workers um, because they don't get paid enough. They actually get paid less in Berlin than they do in Brandenburg. That makes no so, freaking sense. Makes no sense, especially here. Jesus Christ, with your past Berlin. Yeah, exactly with your past and also with your housing crisis and yeah. your rent crisis. Yeah. Um, it's it's really important that we um, that we all uh, know that you know, Kita workers, what people working in the Kitas need to get paid more yeah. money. You know, people looking after your children. It's just, it's so like, just pay them nothing. I don't, I don't really care if they do a good job. I don't well, really it's, care it's if... women's work. Yeah, and therefore of course it is. It's, yeah. fundamentally it's fundamentally undervalued, um, which is why we're paying pathetic amounts of money to women who are working full time in Kitas. Mm. 1,100 a month, mm-hmm. which is, um, which is appalling. And in Brandenburg, I think the going rate is 1,450 a month. Okay. So it's a good 350 more if you work yeah. in the Brandenburg area. So yeah. a lot of, um, Etsia, a lot of um, Kita workers, they actually live in Berlin but they work in Brandenburg right. so we need them to come back to yes, Berlin that would make this um, is the metropolitan area, area yeah you would imagine that but this is um this is the most um traditionally very stressful time mm. for parents yeah. when you're after the Elton site when you're after the time that the state pays um either mum or dad to look after the kid or both of you together um after that before you get into universal childcare system. So we're in that stage, which means that every moment that I'm away from my child, I have to pay for someone to look after mm-hmm. him. And um, yeah, it just means that free time has vanished into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I had much before, no. but now it's like a distant memory. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shit, girl, we're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> Pay for you to get a massage. Long live grandparents for anyone Long who has those. Long live grandparents, Jesus H, yeah. So, um, but yeah. But moving on to another 
awful topic yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, hard left turn that was something that kind of made me laugh about when we did Radio Spätkauf is that um, I, I was a bit worried afterwards because we were quite nervous obviously it was, it was a live audience we've never done that before no. um, I kind of um, worried a bit afterwards that I was completely manic I was really worried that I'd just been like <laughs> like um which is a lovely noise um and um but yeah uh that sounded like a libretto in some kind of opera is that a word um libretto yes it is now right um and yeah it, it kind of made me laugh at one point I was trying to make a joke and I think I'd, I'd set up the joke in my head and so when I delivered the punchline there was no that's not how jokes work you have to you have to set them up but I was like yeah we talk a lot about abortion <laughs> and as if to be kind of funny to be like oh you know it's a great laugh and I, I just I just kind of screamed at everyone in the audience we talk a lot about abortion <laughs> and they were kind of like <sighs> and now we talk a lot about women how they're affected by, by crime, crime. <laughs> fun yeah. so we're gonna talk about crime everyone um there's so much that you could talk about when you're talking about this we, we really want to focus on crime both perpetrated by women uh, experienced by women on a much larger scale than perpetrated um and on particularly the press and how but because that's it isn't it you know touch wood you know most of us don't experience if we're lucky, we won't experience huge crimes. You know, occasionally you might get something robbed. You might get this out and about in the streets. One in four woman, women will experience domestic abuse. Um, so I think, yeah, when we're talking about crime or thinking about crime, it's been kind of delivered to us through the press, through the media, and that is shaping our kind of perceptions of crime. And I really, uh, so I started my uh, master's degree with a course, with a module that was called Gender, Crime and Deviancy. And it was really, really, it was my favorite one. That's why I got my highest mark. And I can't even remember what I wrote about. Um, but I just found it really fascinating because I realized how clever my lecturer was because she kicked us off talking about Jack the Ripper. So it's like ultimate kind of like setting the bar of gender and crime and press and hysteria and all of and mystery um and i think it's really interesting that a book has been um published within the last few months called the five uh, and it is a historian who's written about um the five women who were murdered by jack the ripper and so it's a bit more of a social history about these women um and she comes into a lot of shit from these ripperologists uh, and these people who are obsessed with jack the ripper and you think about like why that is and we're kind of gonna maybe gonna think about how crime is presented how we absorb it and how that therefore reflects on the criminal justice system and who gets the benefit of the doubt basically in the criminal justice system the thing that i found uh, or i've always found really interesting about the jack the ripper case is uh, well firstly the way that um in a way we feel better about these women being murdered because of this idea that they're somehow prostitutes um, and, and I gather from you that that's something that is disputed by the book. Yeah, apparently. So this woman, uh, Hallie Rubenhold, um, she actually says that they've only really got evidence for two women working as sex workers during during the, the time and the other three women. Um, it's really fascinating. I've not read it. I've just listened to an interview with her. I'm going to get hold of it. Um, it just provides this really fascinating idea of, of the 
just institutionalization of poverty and how how set up you know women were to fail and how there was just there was just no you know that, that being poor was an absolute punishment and um and yeah falling but they they had you know and that they had quite interesting lives that they'd come from various different places one of them i think was a swedish immigrant which mm. i had no idea about yeah. um and and yeah, just this really fascinating look at, you know, and also um, the idea of some of them being homeless. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I think she talks about one of the cases, I'm not sure if it's maybe Annie Chapman, that she, um, it might have been that she was a, she was sleeping rough. Mm. Yeah, I think actually she had, she had run out of money for her board and lodging yeah. for that night. Yeah. So she had gone to another pub um, that had actually had a brawl that evening mm. and during this brawl essentially she goes missing yeah and um we think this is the moment when the ripper came and, and took her yeah so the idea that he was cruising the streets for prostitutes specifically yeah um is 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 coming into a huge amount of doubt yeah because of, of this narrative being questioned and yeah. actually just because of learning just the smallest amount of detail about Mm. these women just really brings this crime a little bit more to life because the emphasis I think is always on firstly that these women in some way they're prostitutes they're poor they're you know degraded in society and therefore in some way we don't care about them I'm not saying people think that they deserved it but I think in a way as a society and the way that we learn about this history is it's kind of like well we can we're okay with it yeah you know women die all the time men die all the time it's not really like a big deal when people are poor that's just what happens to them but when we start learning the tiniest, smallest amount of detail, it's almost like our humanity yeah. just comes back. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's almost it like, take much. as a human being, we start being like, oh, suddenly, when I don't think about this person as a prostitute or as, you know, just a poor woman who would have died anyway in squalor, um, suddenly she's got a name and suddenly she's got a vocation and suddenly she was going to stay at an inn that night but she didn't have the money to stay at the inn that night and so she went over to a boarding house and there was a brawl in the boarding house and just for that you know random reason she was left outside for five minutes longer than she should have been and thus was was taken by the ripper Mm -hmm. even knowing that there was someone on the loose at that stage in in Whitechapel so it's just these these small amounts of information that suddenly give you a a window and a a sense of humanity and I think that's really the key thing that is so often lost Mm. not just in the Ripper case but just generally broadly Mm. when referring to women who have been murdered by their partners the emphasis is always on the perpetrator and never the victim yeah well that's um coming much more contemporaneously um there was a hashtag um I don't know whether you saw it was called uh, her name was Cloda and it was about an Irish case of a woman who was murdered with her three children three sons uh, her three sons and uh there was a, a blog post written by a woman who was like you, you just they barely mention her name mm. and the focus is very much on her husband who murdered his wife and his three children and that uh, he was a really nice guy and oh you know he was a teacher and he was well liked in the community and gosh oh just awful what happened mm. what happened yeah what could have what could have happened how was he pushed yeah. to that point there must have been something mm, a and, trigger yeah and and i i think that's you know and this this idea that like you know this women being entirely erased similar thing i think in the us there was a case of a man murdering his pregnant wife and two daughters uh, very young children and um, and again, and I think this is what it always makes me think very quickly of the media. That I, I tend to be 
media studied minded um but the way the photographs of him it's always of him next to his children and i don't think women are afforded that luxury and i don't think black and brown people are afforded that luxury of when they are suspected of crimes or we know that they've committed crimes and their pictures are plastered all over the place uh these pictures of this man you know with his with his wife and with these two little girls in the sunshine you know in a photo shoot that they'd taken mm. and and again why why is that and i think it says so much to who has the who gets the benefit of the doubt who gets the narrative who gets the story of what led them to that who we want to know that story more than we want to know the story of the person who was who was a victim of crime mm. And there, there is always this narrative of like, he was such a loving husband. He was such a loving father. He was such a good man. He was such a good neighbor. Clearly not. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly yeah. Yeah. not. Exactly. The evidence uh, would suggest otherwise. Would suggest otherwise. Yeah. The evidence would suggest that he was a fucking terrible father. Yeah. He murdered his children. Yeah. The evidence would suggest that he was a fucking awful husband. Mm. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah. You know, it's this, it's this giving constantly giving the benefit of the doubt Mm. and um uh, there's a really nice um level up campaign yeah um that is looking at trying to raise awareness of um dignity for dead women yeah and that's the the title of this version of the campaign and it gives um a list of ways to talk about women who have been affected by crime in the media um so firstly accountability place sole responsibility on the killer which means avoiding speculative reasons or triggers for describing the murder as un- or um, describing the murder as uncharacteristic homicides are usually underpinned by a long-standing sense of ownership coercive control and possessive behaviors and they are not a random event and then accuracy name the crime as domestic violence instead of a tragedy or a horror and include the national domestic violence helpline at the end of the article Dignity, avoid sensationalizing language, invasive or graphic details um, in order to preserve the dignity of the dead woman or her surviving family members. And equality, um, avoid insensitive or trivializing language or images. And finally, images, avoid using stock images that reinforce the myth that this is only a physical crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that those are really useful. That's a really useful hand Um, a handbook or a toolkit um, for the media presenting presenting these crimes. Yeah. Um, elevating the story of the perpetrator and asking the question of how on earth could this happen, I think in a way just shows that we have, as a, as a society, a very dark... Yeah, we have a very dark way of interpreting these crimes and just one headline... Um, that is highlighted by the Level Up campaign is, um, quotes, hubby guilty of murdering his wife after row over lesbian tryst. Mm. So what does that say to you? She's having an affair. She's having an affair with a woman. woman. So she's sexually diverting from the patriarchy. Yeah. Um, she's also diverting from the patriarchy in the sense that she's not being a loving wife anymore. Mm. And her hubby, cute hubby. little name for the husband, he's a murderer. Yeah. He's a murderer. Yeah. He's yeah. murdered a woman. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like, well, she had it coming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, um, and I think as well, it speaks to, well, there's um, a really interesting quote in uh, a, an activist called Leah Cowan of a group called Imcon, and they specialise in 
uh, black and minority uh, women. Uh, and she talks about the idea that when you have these cases that say hubby, hubby killer, she was a slag. Um, these cases, it it sends it sends a dog whistle. Really. It sends these silent signals across this web to any woman who is experienced domestic experiencing domestic abuse that she will be she it will be her fault. Mm. It will be her fault if he kills her. It will be her fault if uh, if if it gets too much and if, he, if she tries to leave. And that's also a really interesting point this ca- this campaign makes as well is that seventy five percent the the statistic they give is seventy five percent of um, domestic violence cases that result in murder are after a woman has left. So this idea that oh my god it came out of the blue my god he was such a lovely man and he was a triggered crime of and passion. A crime of passion um, crime of passion and he murdered her and my god isn't that awful that it's it's the the act of a of a of a moment of insanity that's insane if seventy five percent of women are being murdered after they've left that man it means that they were hunted mm. and that this was planned and it had been planned for a long time but I also think it um, it really speaks to the way that men and um male crimes against women are also in a way interpreted by interpreted by society so there's this sense of like oh how is it possible that his public persona was so rosy and he was a good neighbor and he seemed like a good father and he seemed like such a loving and caring husband um but in reality he was um in fact a murderous man and the fact that we are unable as a society and it's often presented in the media to really to really get that to really understand that there is a public and a private or there can be a public and a private persona of a male because men are not manipulative right men are totally reasonable men are totally rational and they act as their rational selves at all times and therefore it must be a trigger it must be a moment passion it must be a moment where you know men become these angry beasts that women have created because of their uh, their nagging or their shagging um and that's the moment that the name of my second book (laughs) that's the name or or that's the moment that women are responsible for when in fact the truth is that as you said 75 percent of women killed by their partners are ex-partners and therefore they have been hunted Mm -hmm. so there is definitely premeditation there and since 2015 there is also a new term in the law uh, relating to domestic abuse which brings us on to um, another case which is called coercive behavior so coercive control um which responds to the fact that a huge amount of this this domestic abuse or this this violent act against the woman this final violent act of murder usually comes after years and years of abuse of control of coercion um of manipulation and brutalization in the private sphere and humiliation as well i think yeah when you think about that on a wider scale like revenge porn and Mm -hmm. that's such a massive massive case as well um and such a and such a again a reflection of who has the fucking power because in an ideal world, none of none of us would give a shit, right? You've got naked pictures of me, who fucking cares? But because you're a fucking slag for doing that, mm-hmm. you know, oh my God, how humiliating for her. It doesn't really matter if you have a naked picture of a guy. That doesn't really, doesn't really matter. But like, the, to have that, that you know, that's all part of the, the coercion. Yeah, I've got these pictures of you. I've got this of you. Those cases will never go to trial. There must be thousands hundreds of thousands of cases of coercion where it's like do this i've got this image of you i'm i you i know your boss i have his email address i could send this to your granny 
mm. you know, and just this kind of humi- humiliation. It's so much more complex than, oh, he murdered her, and oh, isn't that sad? And it got to that point. Mm. It's through every fucking thread yeah. of every part of life, publicly and privately. Which makes the um, the case of Sally Challen so interesting. Sally Tran- Challen um, recently, on, on the 7th of April, had um, a conviction for murdering her husband overturned, and she's now been released and she's free. Um, in 2011, she was convicted for murder and sentenced to 22 years in prison for murdering her um, husband of 30 years. And um, during the trial, it came out that he had been abusing her um, for all of that year, since the time that she was 15 and he was 24, I think mm, they first got together. Older, yeah. He was a bit older. Um, that's when that's when it started and she reported, or, or she kind of, it came out later that apparently when she was a teenager, when they first started their relationship, um, I think she had um, been speaking to another man and he'd seen her and as a, and as a punishment, he anally raped her. Mm. Um, and then after that, it was you know, 30 years of abuse and coercive control and manipulative behaviour and, yeah, humiliation in front of friends and family. He humiliated her um, on every in every opportunity that he could. And his sons saw this, you yeah. know, his sons um, describe him as a man who lacked all moral fibre. He didn't have a moral bone in his body. That's how they describe him. And they, um, they talk about the fact as well, don't they, that in her case where, in her trial, when uh, her trial was brought forward, the defense were told not to they were told don't speak ill of the dead and that's mm. why she was convicted there was no talking ill of him and and that was why that essentially gives her grounds for for manslaughter just completely taken away yeah yeah which is which is absurd yeah you know and and i don't think that someone deserves the death penalty for their behavior in life i don't agree with the death mm. penalty and therefore mm. he didn't deserve to die for the behavior that he exuded during his life but boy am I glad that since 2015 there is a way to lock someone like that up yeah, for sure. and make sure that they don't hurt anyone else for sure um there are you know so many cases of repeat offenders men who get off for killing partners um you know wives or or, or partners ex-partners usually um and then go on to kill again yeah yeah because the the, the judge deems them as being yeah you know, oh, it's an act of passion. It was an act of, yeah. uh, an act of um, a singular insanity. And there are cases where men go on to kill three, yeah. four yeah. ex-partners. Yeah. Um, because this isn't an act of insanity. This is this is a man who has extreme pathologies when it comes to controlling women, and when they in any way divert from the behaviours that he is dictating to them they will suffer the consequences either through long-standing extreme physical and emotional abuse or with murder. With the Sally Challen case, mm-hmm. a lot of the headlines about her, it was like, hammer kill a wife! And uh, she's not afforded the same uh, sympathy as hubby or, you know, a good man who, who loved his kids and uh, somehow murdered them. Um, and it makes me think of the cases of, uh, well, even just, you know, the fact that there's a film this year about fucking Ted Bundy and Zac Efron is fucking ripped in this film. He takes his shirt off when he's playing Ted Bundy. Oh yeah, it's sexy. Zac Efron. Is playing Ted Bundy. 
In Ted Bundy gets Zac Efron oh, to yeah. play him. They always get the best. He killed over 30 women. Yeah, they get a footnote at the end, at the end of the credits. I'm not going to fucking watch it. But at the end, and what pisses me off, I've, I've been looking at a couple of Twitter feeds about this debate and some people are like, yeah, guys, that's why the film's so clever. It's showing how he was manipulative and it's showing, and it's like, do you know fucking what? He manipulated, he manipulated up until the day he was fucking executed a pastor came in and they televised an interview um, where they almost talked about his crimes in the third person and it was pornography that made him do it. Jesus Christ, if pornography is making men kill, we'd all be fucking dead. Mm. We'd all be dead. <laughs> but, it's, but it's also this this desperation to find out what could it possibly be, be? about you? No, but but why? Why would he do something like that? He's so attractive. He's so handsome. He's so uh, Beauty doesn't have a moral compass. Well, it's, but it's also the thing of like, look around you. Look around you. Society drove him to kill those women. Society allowed him to kill those women. Society gave him a free pass to exert the ultimate control over those women. Yes, he was clearly some kind of psychopath and he clearly had extreme mental health issues and pathologies, but society gave him the the free pass. I mean, imagine if women were cared about in a sense that, or in a way that as soon as he killed once, we would have just stopped everything as a society. We need to stop this guy. He would never have been able to kill 30 women Mm -hmm. had it been for a society that actually cared about the lives of women. And then when you flip that and you look at female criminals, violent female criminals, um, and this is the case that I I always go back to um, when I'm thinking about, uh, especially when I was doing my class, I remember when I was studying, I remember being in Liverpool and there was a Metro, copy of the Metro paper, and um, there was a case, this really kind of horrific uh, child sex abuse case in a kindergarten in Cornwall. Um, and this woman had been the one getting photographs, committing these acts and distributing distributing him, distributing them with a partner, with a male partner. Um, and there was another woman involved as well. And the headline of the newspaper was, it was a quote from parents, supposedly. And it said, we all want to skin her and roll her in salt. Wow. And I was always like, holy shit. Mm. And I was like, yes, I'm sure. If your Mm. children have been sexually violated, I'm fucking sure you feel like that. Jesus Christ, I would not judge you. But the fact that that went through multiple editors mm-hmm. to have, I and I, I just genuinely don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, I've not been through dozens and dozens of archives of, of crime. I've never seen a headline more visceral and more physical and more violent about a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that it was in talking about a woman in a case with children, mm-hmm. because that is the worst, that that cannot be we cannot even entertain that that would happen yes men rape children men in the church rape children we don't do anything about that you know we it's it's a nudge nudge wink wink almost in society but a woman to have done that and it makes me it always makes me think as well i don't know if you remember the beslan case sorry the beslan uh like massacre um in russia there was um a terrorist group that went into a school and in the end about 330 people were murdered including many children yeah so it was in I think it was in the mid 2000s 
And I remember there was this case of women in this terrorist group shooting at children as they were running away. And I remember my mum just unable to speak like she, because she's also a teacher she's a primary school teacher she was teaching children that were that that were age were that age as well and she was like if a woman is doing that and I remember and I remember finding that really interesting as a teenager that she was like and I it kind of kicked me off in a thought process and I didn't discuss it with her because she was so horrified by it but she was like if a woman is doing that to children you know and 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 like how horrified that made her mm-hmm. that like this kind of step away because the idea of being of women being monsters they well they can be one of two things can't they they can be nameless victims or they can be monsters they are not the center of the story mm-hmm. and why is that why is it that men get the benefit of the doubt why is it that the Christchurch shooter out out in New Zealand Murdered gets his 50 people. 50 people gets a baby photo with his lovely blonde curls how is it possible how is it possible this lovely little boy look around oh, you. His dad, oh and and they're his dad's holding him in the, mm. on the newspaper and his dad died. His dad died. And I know he's gone in and murdered 50 people, but God, he must have been a lovely lad. Mm. And just why do they always get the fucking benefit of the doubt? Yeah. As, where, whereas women don't. And I think it's because men write the fucking headlines and men make the fucking laws. Mm. And it's more relatable. I relate to that guy. I can get that guy. But Jesus Christ, her. Mm. Shit, fucking hell. What's gone wrong there? And I think, like, it's not that we are in any way promoting the idea that we should uh, get to the bottom of why women kill just in the same way that we try to get to the bottom of why men kill. Piers Morgan's on that, don't worry about it. (laughs) I think we always come to the wrong conclusions and we don't actually pay enough attention to the society in which all of this occurs. It's always, you know, boiled down to a singular incident or a moment of insanity. And rather than that, I think... What we need to do is rather than try to find like the good husband turned killer in a moment of rage because of his uh, his wife being in love with a, another woman, you know, rather than that, say what gave him in any way the idea in his head that he could control yeah. her behavior, yeah. and when she diverted from that control, she had to die. What in any way gave him the idea that in doing that? he probably wouldn't face that harsh prosecution. A man who kills a partner or an ex-partner is statistically likely to get around four to six years in prison. And a lot of those cases never even come to court. That is absolutely horrendous. Whereas a woman who kills her abusive husband after 20, 30 years of abuse is likely to get over 20 years. Just like Sally Tallon, she got 22 years. So why... Why is it afforded to them? Why why are we not actually looking as a society and saying, we're letting these men off the hook. We're allowing them to behave in extraordinarily violent ways. And when they do fulfill all the societal expectations and do exactly what we know so many of them do, we then say, oh, it was probably her fault. She probably had an affair or she was nagging him too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's, that's really the point of it at the end of the day is like these these the reason why these cases are important is because they send a signal not just about those specific cases but to the wider society and they say to men it's okay to murder women your self-pity is worth someone else's life yeah however you know yeah i mean it was worth it you know there was a reason you could be pushed too far and we'll talk about that and we'll unpack it and and you will always be cast in a better light than a woman or a brown person or a black person. Mm. Because I think, yeah, and also, yeah, we should add that, you know, 
race comes into this massively, especially if you look at the US and you talk about how cases, you know, you know, criminals, black men who murder their wives and children do not get nice sunlit photos of, of you know, how what wonderful fathers they were. That doesn't happen. Well, black women who are murdered don't get don't in get newspapers. in their newspapers. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not something that we're really aware of no. as society because. Yeah you know, in terms of the societal wrong, black women are absolutely fundamentally at the bottom and therefore their stories are never told. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Guys, domestic abuse and women being killed by men, very big issue in our society. Just some statistics to round off. Uh, In the UK, the years 2015 to 16, um, around about 2 million victims of domestic abuse were estimated to have occurred. It affects around 8% of women, um, 26% of women aged between 16 and 59. Um, In 2015 to 2016 in the UK, there was about 580,000 cases that were reported to the police of violent abuse. Um, 488 of those were logged as incidents, which was actually made up 11% of all crimes um, that were reported to by the police. Um, Out of those 488,000 crimes that were reported to by the police, 110,000 were referred to the Crown Prosecutioner's Service um, to be um, put up for convictions and 70,000 of those um, cases of violence, domestic abuse were convicted. So we've gone down from about 2 million victims a year to around 70,000 convictions. And the vast majority of those convictions were only successful because the perpetrator pleaded guilty, which gives you another indication of the fact that the perpetrator is often given the benefit of the doubt. If they contest a domestic abuse claim, in you know 31,000 of these cases they were given the benefit of the doubt yeah. but that number of 110,000 has come down from around 2 million victims a year 580,000 reported cases 488 um, cases that were logged as incidents and that has come all the way down to 110 there is no doubt in my mind that all of the cases that referred to the CPS had incredibly high amounts of evidence mm. to support yeah. those prosecutions yeah. but it's only when the defendants themselves support those prosecutions that they are prosecuted and i think we have to remember that like yeah and like the stats are so shocking uh something we were talking about before is like but the stats never seem to help do you know what i mean like it's like we talk we've been talking about this we've known there's been domestic abuse i've always had the number two in a week killed in my head since since i was in my teens two in a week murdered this will affect one in four blah 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 and it never seems to it never seems to help because I think it's so much more it's so much messier because we are talking about the domestic sphere as well. So when you're talking about prosecutions, in some instances, cases will be dropped. Women will end up having to go back to their partners in some cases because they don't have the economic support. They're not believed, um, and it's easier. They maybe have they have children with this person, and if you, my God, if big little lies taught us anything, um, you know, if you if you want custody of your children you know if you if you if you want to go through a custody battle where you're going to have to you're going to be put on trial for your own abuse in why this man should not have access to your children Mm. and some people don't have the money the majority of people don't have the money some people have psychological problems some people have mental health issues some people are genuinely reliant on on these relationships and this structure that might come with one person you know it's just so much more complicated and 
yeah I just kind of don't want to kind of like shy away from that as well like that if you you know you don't know what's we don't know what's happening in people's homes and even you know me as like a you know a relatively well you know well educated white woman from from Britain from a solid stable happy family I'm and and having similar friends in you know there's plenty of people that I've been worried about there I know there are women that I've worried about there are women that I do worry about and how do you go about dealing with that what is the best way and I think possibly talking if you have women who are friends maybe within a group maybe talking to the other women in that group Mm. also not cutting off women who are who you think are struggling Mm. not cutting off not being judgmental Mm -hmm. so if you if you're the person that your friend comes to you and tells you things maybe you're you're not the one to say you need to leave you need to get this you need to do this obviously there'll be cases where that is the case and someone does need to leave but at the same time if you need to remain that ear for someone that's it that's really important that's it and encourage that person to be that that you are that person that they come to yeah and whilst they're coming to you really figure out strategies yes figure out how that if they eventually do come to you and say i've had enough i need a way out you have strategies for them you have something that you can say right we need to get you out of that apartment right we need to get you rented into an apartment and look i've looked at these listings and and here's what we have right okay this is or, or just look online just go to a domestic abuse um uh, helpline uh, and and try and find as much resources as you can that when that person finally does come to you and say right I need your help you have those tools yeah and you have the ability yeah to to do something about it and talking to other women about possibly developing those skills because we're a network mm-hmm. um men and women you know you can get involved guys <laughs> you could get involved you could you could you know um but um but yeah, I didn't know it was going to become that, but it did. It's just proactive, isn't it? It's not something, it's not in the abstract. It's something that the majority, well, it's something that a lot of women experience. And therefore it's something that I think the majority of, of women will, you, I think we've all had thoughts of like, I don't like him. Yeah. And she's, something's going on. Mm, definitely. You know, we've, definitely. All, we've all had that feeling. And, and yeah, and um, yeah, so so that was that was the rallying cry there just just to um just to keep lines of communication open Mm -hmm. keep the lines of communication open and and tread with caution i suppose as well because this is unfortunately we have to do that unfortunately we can't come out swinging we always have to fucking play it cool and play it careful yeah because society is not on our side no we live in oppressive patriarchy that will always give the benefit of the doubt to the man yeah and therefore we can't just come out and say it or we can't depend on society to hold these men to account yeah we have to instead just wait for a wait for a moment where we can play play a part that was uplifting yeah (laughs) that was a uh that was a uh that was a you know i i feel um i feel fine (laughs) ready to take on the rest of the day yeah oh gosh um yeah well (laughs) Uh, you've listen. You've got to go. There's there's someone charging you money to take care of that that small person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the clock. On the clock. On the clock. So yeah. Well, that was that was interesting, though. Everyone. I think I really love the crime stuff. I think we should talk more about crime. You could talk 
for days about it. There's so many different facets of it. Yeah. Think about how I could do a whole episode on the on the Ripper on the on the five. On the Ripperology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ripperology. Interesting. We didn't even get to Jack the Ripper, but fuck him. Who was he? Who, who gives I a don't shit? Care. I don't he, care. Was he was a murderer. A murderer. Yeah. Like, don't care that's anymore. What he was. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Well. But was he the Prince Regent? Oh, probs. Yeah. Was he the Regent's? Position was he the elephant man? Was he that American dude who came over to England for like a little business trip and ended up murdering five women? Five women. That's what you do on business trips. Was he the elephant man? Is that a theory? Um, I can't remember. Oh my god. Um, but uh, yeah, who knows? Don't care. Don't care. Stop murdering, eh? Um, (laughs) that should be the tagline. (laughs) Hashtag stop murdering, eh? (laughs) Stop murdering you. (laughs) Just stop. Um. Well then. Um. Listen, uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, at Sistrionics. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Instagram, also at Sistrionics. Um, uh, you can uh, please listen to us on iTunes. We have been uh, posting up the SoundCloud link, but please do listen on iTunes as well. And if you do get the chance to give us a review, please, 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 and please, 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 if you do listen on iTunes, click subscribe. Click subscribe. Um, and uh, yeah, that would be great. So, um, well, this has been fun-ish. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Uh, this has been... Sistrionics. Sistrionics.